Hello, everyone, and happy Sunday. You are about to listen to my conversation with Kyle Steidinger, who is a captain in the Air National Guard, a pre-hospital RN, a certified emergency nurse, and has been on the front lines in the medical field throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, and was even sent to Chicago at the height of it all to assist in wide-scale COVID testing. His insights on the issue at large are extremely valuable and interesting, and I know that you're going to enjoy hearing and watching it all. If you find this episode educational, I invite you to click that share button beneath this video if you're watching it on Facebook. And if you enjoy watching and listening to conversations like these, then please subscribe to The Paul Garcia Show on YouTube. Like my page on Facebook as well, follow me on Instagram, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to directly contribute to the show's production while also gaining early access to each and every episode, I would love for you to become a patron on patreon.com forward slash Paul Garcia. You can also make one-time donations on Venmo to The Paul Garcia Show, and you can even write checks and send them to 1813 Parkway Court, Unit Number 1 in Normal, Illinois, if you want to do it the old-fashioned way. Those of you that have donated to the show and became patrons have made it so that I can get a third microphone, and I have a lot of episodes lined up with two guests, and it's just going to be incredible. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Keeping with the theme of patronage, I'd like to take this chance to thank my current beloved patrons, Iron Man Wrestling and Normal, John the Hebrew Hammer, Traub, my good friend Josh Hartke, Greg Sullins, the Metcalfs, Jared Walter, Zach B., Henry Steffen, Shaquille Oatmeal, Alyssa Ricketts, Miranda Noyes, Parker Shilson, Ben, I'm not sure what it is this week, Traub, and Anne. You are all amazing. Today's official sponsors are Kelly Gerber, a trusted real estate agent in central Illinois, Marshalloni's Pizza in Fairbury, Forest Edge Tree Service in Livingston County, Fairbury Furniture in Fairbury, and Tri-County Carpet and Flooring in Fairbury. These are all great businesses that I personally endorse, so if you go to them, be sure to tell them that you heard about them on the Paul Garcia Show. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Kyle Steidinger. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Paul Garcia Show, a show about the remarkable people of Central Illinois. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and I invite you to join me as I speak with these individuals about their stories, the lessons they've learned, and the knowledge they've gained along the way. Tune in every Sunday to witness the power of bringing each new individual's unique journey into the spotlight. And you're still in this line of work, right, with the military and, and of course, in the medical field, correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you have kids also? Yep. We got three three daughters. Yep. How do you manage all that? Because you're, you're also married, correct? Yep. Yeah, well, why? Do you, here's the question. Why do you choose to do all these things? It seems like you're really invested in the um, industry of helping people in some way, shape, or form. Why do you do this? You know, it's... It goes all the way back. If I go all the way back to the first inkling would be high school. And I remember my mom coming home and uh, Cellcast is, it's, they have their full-time paramedics, but they have a lot of voluntary staff as well, which are a huge asset. And anybody that's out there thinking about doing this, you know, first responder or EMTB, it is a humongous asset to have. Um, So she came home one day and was like, hey, I'm going to take this EMTB class, a, a basic level. So just your bottom tier. And I remember going, oh, man, that sounds that sounds kind of cool, you know, and like, I want to do that. Well, you know, it came with the caveat that you had to pay up front for the class. And if you pass the class and start working for Cellcast, you get reimbursed. Mm-hmm. So 
she didn't want to pay for both of us, but she knew I was pretty excited to go check this out. So in high school, I'm essentially, you know, doing my schoolwork, coming home. I'm on the baseball team, this and that. I'm going straight from that stuff, still in cleats, still in my uniform, right to the EMT class, just to kind of see what this is all about. You know, Mm -hmm. I've always really enjoyed the ambulance. You know, I like seeing it go through town. I like the community support aspect, support aspect. And, you know, I went through that and it just kind of, man, it really stuck. So from there, as I was looking into the guard, that was one of the first questions I had for him was, do you have anything medical? And they're like, Oh, Hmm. absolutely. You know, we have this. So I went from the EMT class and then signed on for the national guard knew I was going to do that. Cause you know, it's one of those things that uh, high school is kind of one of those. uh, I didn't really like, wasn't really into school. I wasn't sure if college was right for me. So I didn't want to put that burden financially on myself or my parents to say, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go to college and wing it and see what happens. It was, you know, let's do the air force thing. They'll support me through school, see if I like it and then kind of go from there. So I took, took the EMT class. I was, you know, in high school, you got a million things going on. You're trying to be friends with people. You're doing this and doing that. Mm -hmm. Got through all the school and then took my test and I failed. Oh man. I missed it by like two questions. So So it can happen. So right right from the get go starting out, kind of rough and I was like oh no (laughs) that's rough and I'm like oh it's no big deal I'm just I was just distracted I couldn't put a lot of time into into studying how much did the class cost I want to say back then it was like 600 or something okay so that's no that's not just money you can throw in the breeze that's a lot of money right yeah so I was like man I'm like it was only because I was distracted I got a lot going on I'll I'll sit down I'll really hammer it out bam orders hit for the national guard I'm getting shipped out never got a chance to retest and I was like okay so mom if you're out there I apologize I still owe you $600 but in that though it did light that fire I joined the guard and if I would have had that EMT slip I would have skipped about six months of training because you have your initial basic training where you go down and you do all the push-ups you get yelled at for a little bit you know Mm -hmm. all that good stuff um and from there, you go to AIT or tech school where you're learning your job that you're going to do. So I'm hand in hand with the active duty personnel that are going to go and do this on an active duty side, whereas I'm going to do it on the National Guard side, just making sure our flyers are healthy, all this and that. But in that, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of learn along the way. And being now in my 30s, I realize it's not so much about getting frustrated that you failed something. It's about how do you react to that situation to go, how do I make myself better so in that failure, I realized, man, I, you know, I know I got, I can do this. I know all the skills. I just need to essentially try harder. Mm-hmm. So in that and redoing it, it and getting essentially, I needed to go get yelled at for a little bit and put mm-hmm. that in perspective of like, I need, I'm working really hard. Why would I sacrifice this and not try hard to pass this? So I went all the way through the EMT class again, knocked it out of the park, first try, nailed it, knew all the skills and you get that building block. So it was rough to start up my career in healthcare knowing that, oh man, this might not be for me. I failed this. But Hmm. once I redid it and had that time to sit down, I knew I do have this capability. If I just sit down and focus on it, Hmm. you know, sky's the limit. You know, I picked it up really well. I had all my attention on that and it just kind of went from there. And it just, that was the building block Mm -hmm. of, I really like this. You know, this is, this is exciting stuff. You know, I'm essentially taking people in the worst time of their lives and I, they have to immediately trust me, which is, is hard, you know, to get that skill down where you're just, you just start talking to people. 
So what age did you begin your EMT work then? Because an EMT, when I think of an EMT, correct me if I'm wrong, I think of someone standing in the back of an ambulance mm-hmm. going to pick someone up who who knows what happened to them, and you're kind of making sure they're okay until you get to the hospital and then maybe helping a little at the hospital as well. Is, is that all correct? Yeah, for the most part. There's different levels. So the EMTB, and I tell this to the same nursing students that come in, if I see paramedics that are coming in or EMTs, it all is based on level. So I, I think of it as a giant triangle. So mm-hmm. your EMT basic level is your foundation of, of knowledge. So that's your, you're learning your, your ABCs, right? Airway, breathing, circulation. So you're learning that very basic skill set to go, hey, this isn't right. Let's just do some stuff to see if we can make it a little bit better. Yeah. From there, you have your intermediates, and then you have your paramedics. Each one of those is kind of building up on itself to say, well, now you know how to react to somebody not having, you know, you show up and somebody's not breathing. You know how to react, but now the higher you go up, it's more why did that go away? And what can I do if they're leading to that point? What can I do to correct for it before it happens? So it's not as reactory. It's more proactive in that, hey, they're breathing really, war- you know, their breathing's really bad. Mm-hmm. What do I do to fix this? Where EMT is just strictly based on you show up, this person's doing ABC. What do we do? So from there, your skills kind of go up and you can kind of react to the patient. You get a little bit better at assessment skills. You know what's going on and you have a whole bunch more tools at your disposal, medication-wise, equipment-wise, that you know of that you wouldn't have had as an EMT. And the same with nursing. You know, if you start out as a CNA, you're learning that basic building block, just learning how to talk to people, you know, learn how to get them to the, you know, the bathroom real well, you know, all this and that. And then from there, you start building up your nursing career. So it's now it's no longer oh, I'm just taking care of this person. I'm making sure they're getting their meals. Now I need to know, you know, how do I take care of this person holistically? You know, mm-hmm. is their emotions in check? You know, are they getting fed well? Are their medications right? You know, this and that. So yeah. it just all, it all starts from that basic building block of the lower level and you just kind of keep going. You know, as far as you want, you can go up to DNP or doctorate level. And that's not for me by any means, but uh-huh. people do do it, you know, so. Oh my gosh, is that right, Doc? Holy cow, you're kidding me. They're not going to believe this. All right, I got to let you go. Talk to you soon. Holy cow, I just got off the phone with a leading researcher and a really smart scientist, and he just said what we all knew anyways. Marshalloni's Pizza in Fairbury is the best pizza on the planet Earth to people with functioning brains and taste buds. Pizza from Marshalloni's in Fairbury, Illinois is spectacular, and not only that, but they also offer a daily happy hour. If you call between 4 and 5 p.m. and order a pizza, you get the second one of equal or lesser value for free. Restrictions apply. You can even call at 4.45 p.m., order your pizzas, pick them up at 8 p.m., and you will will still get the happy hour discount. For the most delicious pizzas around, head nowhere else but Marshalloni's Pizza in Fairbury, Illinois. Call them up and place your order today at 815-692-4602 and pick it up at 405 East Locust Street in Fairbury, Illinois. Don't fight the science. Go with what the doctors recommend. Pizza from Marshalloni's Pizza in Fairbury. It's good stuff. So what age was your first, how old were you when you first were in the back of an ambulance and went and picked someone up in a medical emergency? So the first time I'd have been 18. That's pretty darn young. I'm sure you probably saw some crazy things for an 18 year old to see. So yeah, going through the training. So AIT, you start off with, you know, essentially doing your EMT class. And then from there, they kind of cut you loose and you start running on the ambulance or in the ER of those active duty sites. So I was down at Lackland Air Force Base, which is a, Wilford Hall is a huge Air Force Base. Not only did they treat the direct active duty personnel, which let's be honest, is 
a fairly small size. If you're thinking in terms of healthcare, they're all from probably 20 to 40 before they retire. For the most part, they're getting their medication and everything and their medical exams taken care of. So they're overall decently healthy. But Wilford Hall, since it was so big, you got to start to, you know, seeing your pediatric patient population. You got to start seeing your OB population, you know, pregnant mothers coming in. You got to see your geriatrics coming in that are a lot older. So that was the first time I started really seeing that, the overarching viewer before it was such a focus on this young group of people. Now it's, I got to take care of everybody. I got to know how to potentially react to somebody giving birth. Like that's a whole nother ball game. So at 18, yeah, it's, it's a lot to take on. And that's why I'm so happy that I did have to go back through it, reset Mm -hmm. myself a little bit and really hone into that and, and retry essentially. And like I said, it was good to get yelled at for a little bit, kind of just ingrained in me that if you work hard, good things come. So was there ever a moment, because I've heard a lot of stories from people just in person, in person conversations with people who are EMTs, people who have worked in the medical field, but specifically EMTs who, who say that they've seen some really crazy things in an ambulance. Was there ever a point that you saw something that made you question if you wanted to continue doing this? Were you ever rattled? And if you were, what was it that rattled you? Um, it's hard to say. I never, the EMT side of things kind of took a back seat after a while because I did all the training and I never got broke off from having, you know, a supervisor or preceptor in that realm. Mm. So because of that, you know, there was plenty of stuff that you know, I was scared that I wouldn't have the skill set for and, you know, going into calls and you're worried about taking, can I take a blood pressure right? You know, there's all these mm. little things that you've done a million times, but in this the heat of the moment, can I do it? Mm-hmm. But in in the grand scheme, they always had somebody there to kind of help you out. So the initial part, I never really got a chance to see a lot because as soon as you're done with that, you're getting shipped off, shipped off back home. And then it's just back into the working environment where I had my EMT skill and my, my actual license, but I never got a really big chance to use it at that point. Oh, okay, I see. Because um, it was, I came back to the medical group, our main goal was keeping the flyers healthy, making sure everybody was capable of doing their job. But in reality, EMS and emergency medicine, it wasn't really a a concern on base because they're all younger, they're all healthy. So you got your, you did, I'm sorry, you did your EMT stuff and you learned your EMT stuff on base or mm-hmm. at, with the military, with the Air yeah. Force, right? Well, I did. So I did the CellCast class, never got a chance to run with them. Right. Uh, Oh, you I, never got a chance to run with them? No, I got shipped off before I got a re- chance to retake right. the test. So I okay, took it okay. one time, and then I was like, oh, I'll, I'll reschedule it, no big deal. Oh, yeah, I'll pass it if I just focus on this. And as soon as I said that, orders came That's through, right. and I was getting That's shipped right. off. So I never really got a chance to really burrow in and use it. But mm. from that, I learned, like, I do really want to do this. So you know, then it was just kind of a spiral of different opportunities and careers. So I've worked at a wound center. I've done hyperbaric oxygen treatment or you're shoving somebody in a pressurized tube to mm. try to heal up wounds. Um, I've worked on a medical unit as a tech on the floor on, you know, just taking care of any number of things. And then through all that, I'm going to nursing school and just preparing for that next step. Okay. With the mindset that EM, you know, emergency medicine is going to be my, that's my goal mm-hmm. is all these things that I'm doing is essentially to get back into that setting in the ER. And, you know, you, then you just get super busy with things and 
Started out in the ER, started doing all that, loved Jeez, it. Jeez, man, this is hard to follow. It sounds it's, almost chaotic. It's It was a whirlwind. So you're in the ER. When did you go into the ER? You're still a young guy. You, what are you, like early 30s, right? Yeah, 33, yeah. Okay, 33, and you are now in the ER. You're doing work in the ER at yeah. this point in time. Oh, yeah. Okay, and you're helping out um, with the Air National Guard yep. as well. It, not in your free time, but just part-time or right. whatever. And... Are you also an EMT? Are you in the back of ambulances anymore? Or? Now I am. So now it came, you are it came also that full guy. circle. Sorry for this. No, it's all good. It's it's even hard for me to follow sometimes because I just, uh, you know, when an opportunity presents, sometimes you just got to roll with it. So I got through nursing school, still had my EMT on the air guard side. So okay. that was my part-time job. I was doing that EMT stuff, but just essentially medical screenings as an EMT, not really anything emergent mm-hmm. on that side. So that's kind of separate. And then right from nursing school, I I was able to snag a job in the ER right from the get-go. Got it. So I jumped right in, you know, and started working ER up in in Pontiac in a real small ER, uh, 10-bed, nothing, you know, we didn't have a lot. You know, we don't have a trauma surgeon. We don't have neurology. We don't, you know, so we do transfer out a lot of stuff, but ER is kind of similar no matter where you go. I've done, Hmm. you know, I've been in Pontiac. I've been down here in Bloomington. I've done travel nursing. And no matter where you go, it's all set on the base, same, you know, the same principles, best practice of how do we best take care of this person. So once that settled down and I had my guard career in check, the ER was going well and that settled down. Then I realized, oh, maybe I have a little extra time hidden in there somewhere that I can jump on with, with the ambulance. And I started out as a driver because by then I had let my EMT license go. I had got commissioned mm-hmm. as a nurse, didn't need that. So I let it go. And so I started out as a driver. And talk about boyhood bucket list, get to play with sirens, flip on the lights. Yeah. I mean, it was a great time. And <laughs> the whole time, though, my boss is essentially like, you're the world's most overqualified driver. Like, yeah, Here you are as an say. ER nurse. You've been doing ER nursing for years. And I was like, I don't know. I really like playing with the lights and sirens. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a good time. But at the same time, I did realize, like, there is an opportunity here that I think I can move on. So they actually offered um, a class up to take the PHRN. And that was a, the whole separate thing. Uh, so I did that and I started, I, th- I want to say I started on the ambulance in January, February, maybe somewhere around that time I had gotten the class done, took the test. I had to do a bunch of ride time. Mm. Um, and then from there, now I'm in the back of the ambulance. So now I'm, okay. now I'm the guy coming knocking on your door to say, Hey, I'm here. You know, what's wrong kind of thing. And okay. I will say, you know, it it's tomatoes, tomatoes kind of thing. ER nursing, I would say for the time you're there in the 12 hour shifts, is harder mm-hmm. for that time frame because you have more patient loads. You have maybe four or five, six patients that you're trying to help balance care, get things done. The ambulance is usually one-on-one, but in the same time, they all come with their challenges. Like, you know, a lot of those paramedics that are up there, they, you know, it's 24 hours, no matter what. So they're pulling huge shifts mm-hmm. where I just have to stress myself out for 12 hours in the ER. They're kind of all just around the clock. So there's a few yeah. of them, they balance schedules, things like that. But it, so it's, it's kind of tomatoes. It's it's all for the same goal, but there's various kinds of suffering here. It sounds like <laughs> different suffering. Yeah, it's just it's what you sign up for, and really on the ambulance, I'm only picking up maybe one day, you know, trying to help out where where I can. But you see them working their tail off, and for anybody that thinks they're a big bad ER nurse that know it all, try out on the back of the ambulance. That's one thing I felt like I have done ER long enough that I'm really good at that. Mm-hmm. But I've always got that crutch that if somebody starts tanking on me, I have tons of nurses. I have a doctor that's always there. I have a bunch of resources. I've got 
units that can pull down. I got nursing supervisors. So if anything starts really going wrong, I've got that handcuff or that crutch to say, oh no, this person's looking really bad. Bring somebody else in here to help me out. Back of an ambulance, you are on your own. Like hmm. it is a whole separate ball game. So just a few people in the car, really. <laughs> man, I tell you, and you're, you're trying to do this the whole time while you're driving down the road, bouncing around. So, <laughs> right. you know, it's one of those, like, I feel like I'm really, really good at ER, but then I jump on the back of a rig and it's a whole nother ballgame. So mm-hmm. major props to the paramedics have been doing for a long time because, you know, I, I go from really great ER to eh, maybe I'll give myself a mediocre paramedic, but I'm, you know, it's one of those that I'll learn with time. I keep trying to learn everything and kind of going from there. So. We are brought to you by Kelly Gerber, a trusted real estate agent in central Illinois. Do you need a trusted real estate professional to assist you in navigating through the buying or selling process? If you do, remember one name, Kelly Gerber. Kelly is a phenomenal real estate agent for Keeley Real Estate in Fairbury, Illinois. If you're selling, she has premier marketing strategies implemented to assure that your home is circulated to buyers throughout Illinois. And if you are buying, she has professional relationships with lenders, title companies, inspectors, and attorneys to alleviate the stress that comes with buying a home. Whether buying or selling, Kelly works hard to ensure that the real estate process is enjoyable and stress-free. It's a seller's market, so the time to call is now. Call Kelly up at 217 390 or send her an email at kelly at keelyrealestate.com to begin your real estate journey today. Member of Mid-Illinois Realtors Association, Illinois Board of Realtors, and the National Association of Realtors. Before we move on, I want to ask, and we're going to move on to something really important, really interesting, but first, just because I'm stinking curious, what was in your time as an ER nurse, maybe even also in the ambulance, what was the most startling or just crazy uh, patient's situation that they, does this make sense? What is the craziest condition that a patient came to you in that you can remember? I mean, everybody's got their thing, I guess. Every, Every nurse that does it has their separate stuff that they either really, really like or they really don't. Honestly, the biggest panic I think I've ever had was somebody giving birth in the ER. I am not an OB nurse. I've been through my own children's birth, and that is plenty for me. Mm-hmm. I, I was happy with that. and But every so often, you got to be ready for anything. So that's probably the, the most unprepared I think I've ever felt is this person just shows up and, yeah. oh, my goodness. This Th- that, is probably, that might not have been too much in your training, right? Oh, my Delivering goodness. Delivering a baby. I, <laughs> I can do chest compressions all day. I can shock people with pads. You know, I'll, uh-huh. I'll stick needles pretty much anywhere, you know. But to have somebody show up that's like, I'm having a child right now. Oh, like, hold on. And there's, <laughs> no, on, there, there's no way they're getting up to the floor. <laughs> so you just have to just you just wing it. You know, you're like, all right, I do remember this being in school. Okay, let's figure it out. So, yeah, you bring a bunch of people in and hopefully somebody smarter than you and OB stuff comes down, which they do because it's good teamwork in the hospital. And, you know, they can kind of come in and take over, but you're still helping them out. But mm-hmm. that's probably the most unprepared I think I've ever been where it's just so out of left field I hope to never do it again but in that everything turned out great and kid was healthy and I'm like that was a thing like I can't believe that just happened right now what a good story though yeah like man we just delivered this baby you know so but then you know there's a million things out there that you know there's really really gruesome stuff there's really gross Mm -hmm. stuff there's you know, there's amazing things that I can't really explain. Right. That stuff happens and you're just like, wow. I- hey, I've heard that actually. Would you mind elaborate on that just a little bit? So I've, there's been polls, um, Pew Research polls, 
that show that the majority of people in in like elite levels, like nurses, doctors, things like that in the medical industry in the United States, the majority of them, over 50% have said that they have witnessed what they consider miracles. Like they they think it's divine intervention or something along those lines, but things they can't explain that appeared to be miraculous. Yeah. Have you seen things like that? Yeah, I mean... It- I got to be careful to not give too much away. But, of course. Yeah, I understand. But yeah, there has definitely been, for instance, there was, there was one, we had a, a stroke patient come in and I just remember that where we found the stroke, it was like, oh, this is, this is bad. They're a goner type of thing. They're either, you know, they're not fully gone. Their vitals still look fine. They're still breathing, but they're just not going to wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things that they are just now here. They're a shell of what they were. There's, there's just nothing we can really do. But you do try those things. You try to throw the medications out and you try to clot buster medication, all this in a timely fashion. But really what we always say is, you know, the TPA that we use for strokes is like you have what I've always heard. And there's different studies out there and different ratios, but I've always heard it's like 33%. They're going to get way worse. 33%. It's not going to do anything. And 33%, it's, you know, they're going to get a lot better. Mm-hmm. So it, the odds are pretty low still, even in that, that, you know, this just is Hail Mary. Hopefully this works. Mm-hmm. And I remember just sitting there in this, you know, I, I get all the medications going. We got life flight on the way. They're going to come pick them up and fly them out to the neurology, you know, specific department. And me and the doctor there, we had a great report, great guy. And I'm in there checking on the patient and the wife's in there. He's, we've got the, the priest in there. They're kind of praying together. And, you know, I'm just not expecting much. It's, a, you know, one of those, like, mm-hmm. uh, we'll get them over to neuro and see what they can do. And all of a sudden she's like, he squeezed my hand. I was like, all right, like, sure, lady, like, uh-huh. no, no offense, but I think you're just reaching for things. And she's yeah. like, no, he squeezed my hand. I was like, nah, ne- never going to be a chance. She's like, wake up and just screams at her oh, husband. My. And he just sits up out of nowhere. <laughs> and I'm like, um, I don't know what just happened here. And he's just perfect. No totally way. Back to, totally back to baseline. And I'm just like, um okay so i go grab our doc and i'm like hey uh you might want to come check on your patient here and he's like why is he getting worse i'm like no he's better he's like what do you mean better i'm like he's completely back to normal and he's like what are you talking about and i'm like i don't know come on in and check it for yourself so this patient all of a sudden we're you know we had to reacclimate i'm like he all of a sudden wakes up in an ER, but you know, it's one of those things where they're just like holy cow like what just happened like so by the time the helicopter got there which is no time at all you know mm-hmm. it doesn't take him long this patient's perfectly fine i could have discharged him right then and there he was perfect. no freaking way and it was That's all just, incredible you know and so it's one of those like there i don't feel like i even had it started long enough and looking at the time frame of when i started the the clot busting agent to when he went that i'm like i don't even feel like it should have done anything yet hmm. totally back to normal i was just like that was that was weird that was a little shocking so Man, awesome story. I'm glad we touched yeah. on that, actually. It was it was something. Okay, so flash forward to basically now. Well, really, a year and a half ago, I think it was March of 2020, is when the COVID-19 pandemic was officially declared a pandemic. Mm-hmm. What were you doing during that time? Like at that exact, not exact moment, but during that time, were you in the... Uh, were you working as a nurse at Broman or were you doing all three things? Like I wasn't on the ambulance yet at that time. Okay. Um, I was doing travel nursing at that time. So travel nursing is, it's a good, good deal. A lot of people do it. 
Um, I was up north, actually, in one of the hospitals up north, and we had kind of all kept our ear to it, you know, because I was along with everybody else when this thing first came mm-hmm. out. It was, oh, it just seems like a flu thing, you know. Sure, people something get like H1N1 at most. Right, it's, and now looking back on it, we were just given bad data. It was mm-hmm. one of those things that, you know, they weren't telling us the truth. We didn't know how many people, yeah, there's a lot of people hospitalized, but we didn't really think much of it. It was like, ah, oh, it's, it's over there. We'll do something about it. We'll take care of it when it, you know, if it comes over here, okay, whatever. And then it just kept growing and growing and then it's getting closer. And now it's starting to hit some of the cities and we're like, Oh, this, this is way worse than what we thought. You know, it's one of those things that hmm. now we're starting to not only get, cause I mean, China wasn't really giving us a whole lot to work off of. You know, there was a lot of reports saying this is going to be bad and ah, it'll be fine. Hmm. And then it started hitting, you know, places that we have a lot better communication with. So you've got, you know, Europe that it's starting to hit. You had the huge outbreak in Italy. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, now it starts hitting the cities and we start seeing it and we're like, oh, this could be, this could be rough. And that was, you know, December, January timeframe, February, we really know it's starting to be a thing. And then March, that's when, oh yeah, all the shutdowns talk mm-hmm. started happening. Um, so we kind of got an inkling through my guard unit that, hey, they might try to, they might do something. So we kind of kept our ear to the grindstone and sure enough, all of a sudden we're getting our call, you know, calls from our supervisors saying, Oh, hey, so we, you're working as a nurse or RN. I apologize for not knowing the terminology very well, but either one. Okay. So you're working as a nurse and you're kind of in the front lines in the medical field. And all of a sudden you get a call from the national national guard saying, Hey, we might need you for something. So, right. and it was, it was all based on rumors at this point. So, okay. you know, we're getting a call saying, Hey, they're going to be potentially looking for us. And, you know, looking to bring us up. So we don't know what we're going to be doing if they do call us up. We heard rumors that they were open in McCormick Place up in Chicago, preparing for all these patient influxes, all these COVID patients, you know. So we're like, well, I mean, we got a ton of nurses, ton of medics, ton of docs. You know, is that where they're going to send us? Are we going to do in that? Like, essentially a field environment. I'm like, oh, that sounds, that sounds exciting. You know, this is the mm-hmm. first time really that we've been called up to do something. But we really didn't know at the time. So we finally get that call and hey pack your bags for two weeks you know this is where you're going i'm like all right sounds good so in march end of march of 2020 we got our unit got called up to i was up in harwood heights up by chicago up by chicago yeah and essentially what it ended up being was setting up swabbing sites and for that initial burst of testing because by that point we had just gotten testing available there was a limited quantity everywhere you went but they Mm. knew contract contact tracing was going to be the biggest need at that time because we didn't have a tool to fight it. We didn't know how to decrease the symptoms of it. We didn't know how to do anything to treat it. The only thing we could hope for was that if we test somebody and they're positive, hey, you need to stay away from everybody. Make sure you contact everybody. Everybody needs to stay indoors. So it was trying to identify how far along it had gotten to try to minimize that spread. And really for... When I first started hearing the shutdown, I was like, oh, no, this is America. We're not going to do very well at this. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't oh, like you the- knew that before we even tried to I mean, implement the shutdowns. You're that, like, this is not going to go well. It was more of a just observation. We don't like being told no very well here in America. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things when they say you can't do something, you automatically want to go do it. And I'm, you know, right. I'm guilty of it, too. But no, I, right back at you. It's, yeah. it's, a bless, it's a good thing, and it can be a bit of a curse, I'm sure, at some times. Right. And in reality, everybody did a really good job. I mean, the shutdown and the quarantine, everybody really bound together. And I can't say anything bad at that time. It was everybody's 
really did what they were supposed to do, and it really did slow things down. Because huh. a lot of people will passionately disagree with you there. Right, it slowed it down, and that's the only thing. And that's what I think everybody's kind of lost sight on at this point is. At that time, the entire goal wasn't to fix the virus. We're never going to mm-hmm. fix it. It's At this point, it's blown up. It's kind of everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was to slow it down in a way that Flatten we, the curve or whatever. Right. We in the ER can handle it because right now, ER even prior to COVID, ER nursing was brutal. We are brought to you by Forest Edge Tree Service. If you have trees or tree stumps on your property that you want gone, go nowhere else but Livingston County's premier tree service provider, Forest Edge Tree Service. Your yard is no place for looming dead or damaged trees because it's just a matter of time before they come down, ruining your property, ruining your week, and ruining your bank account. This is exactly why you need to be a responsible adult and hire the services of Forest Edge Tree Service to get the job done right. Simply give Joe Rudin a call or text at 815-615-3037 to get a free quote today. Keep your family, pets, vehicles, and neighbors safe and save yourself from a world of headaches when you call or text Forest Edge Tree Service to get those dangerous, looming, troublesome trees off of your property. That's Forest Edge Tree Service, Livingston County's premier tree service provider. I mean, we were tipping on an edge where a lot of days we didn't have enough... didn't have enough beds. We don't have enough hospital mm-hmm. rooms. If flu hit real hard, we'd tip over and we just, we wouldn't have the space and capability. So this is the one thing that was new that was coming out that, hey, if we slow it down, we can keep up just enough to make sure we get everybody taken care of. So that was the whole goal right from the get-go. Along the way, though, it's just gotten so polarized that everybody's just, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. It's like our mentality now in the ER isn't so much, oh, it's COVID. This is This entire problem is COVID. No, it's because we already had a ton of patients that were already sick, hmm. then you add on the extra COVID patients. It's not all COVID that we're seeing, and hmm. everybody wants to only focus on that. It's the fact that we were already stretched thin. Now you get additional people on top of it that we hmm. wouldn't have seen prior, and it's just overrun us. Would you say that the majority of patients in the ER were COVID patients or not? Hmm. No, it's just that was the one thing and it still is the one thing that we think we can mitigate. So unfortunately, people aren't going to stop eating cheeseburgers. If they haven't gone out jogging for the last 40 years, they're not going to start doing that. They're not going to stop smoking. You know, In general, all these things that we've tried for years and years and years to say, mm-hmm. hey, you need to be healthier, that's kind of out of the question. So this is the one thing you know, with the vaccine, you know, with the shutdown, quarantining, social distancing, all that is all an attempt to say this might be the one thing that we can slow down so that we don't get crushed. Because all those other sick people are still coming to us. All the heart attacks are still coming in. All the stroke patients are still coming in. All that Mm. stuff that was happening anyways is still happening. And it still stretches us. But now, unfortunately, we have this whole other patient load that we wouldn't have thought about that's just stacking on top. And they, you know, some, you know, I would say it's about 50-50 that some come in and you're just like, oh, they're just here for a swab. They want a school note or something. You know, sure, you got COVID. Perfect. Whatever. See you later. But huh. there's are those that come in here that as soon as you see them, you're just like, well, I'm going to be the last person I talk that ever talks to this person, you know, and you're going to put a tube in their throat and you're like, that's that, you know, what a waste of resources at this time. You know, you just, you snow them out, you put a tube in their throat to breathe for them. And you're like, well, I'm probably the last person that's ever going to talk to this person. So, and these are you're, you're this was the protocol for people that came in with COVID, right? That were really far along, mm-hmm. that weren't doing good. 
And it's it's similar process to anybody that comes in with respiratory arrest or depression mm-hmm. where, you know, even asthma can cause stuff like this or the flu can cause it where it's just they come in and their their lungs are worn out. The muscles that control that are done. They can no longer keep up and try to breathe for themselves. So, you know, there are a process where we will take over and we'll breathe for them. And so you're essentially putting an ET tube down right into their, you know, into their throat and breathing for them. But there's a lot of times that we've seen this now for so long. I mean, you're talking, we're going on two years that when they come in and their oxygen levels are so low, like we're going to do everything we possibly can. It's never that we've ever wanted to pull back care. That's never been anybody's goal. And there's a lot of talk of, Oh, we should prioritize patients. That's never going to happen. That's not my goal. My goal is to keep people alive. So, but there are those that you realistically as an ER nurse and a doc that you just know they're probably not, going to pull through on this and it's right. you tell the family that you just there's only so much we can do did you see a lot of people die from covid still do still do yeah oh yeah it, percentage wise though the the numbers of course dropping right that's what they're telling us um eyeball test maybe we're starting to starting to go down a little bit in terms of the big push that we had the last two three months it's been been rough. We have been mm-hmm. stretched pretty hard and a lot of people coming in really sick. And it's just, you know, it was just because it, it's a little slower, you know, it hits up in Chicago first, it'll trickle down and you, you can almost follow it down the interstate as it comes down the state. Mm-hmm. You can see these progression of things coming down. So, you know, if, if they're blowing up in Chicago, we're going to be a little bit delayed. So the last, I'd say two, three months, man, we just got just got hammered. I mean, we're just bringing in people left and right. And, Mm -hmm. and again, it's not so much just that that's a very small percentage in the grand scheme of things of what we're taking care of. It's just, we already had such a huge patient population. We were trying to take care of that. We just don't physically have the resources to keep going further and further. And it's just really stretching us out. So you talked about how you guys were already stretched thin prior to COVID with people coming in for reasons uh, largely attributed to poor health, you know, strokes from eating cheeseburgers, not jogging strokes, heart attacks, things like that, cardiac issues, the typical, you mm-hmm. know, things in the United States. There has been a lot of talk, a lot of rumors about certain states uh, exaggerating the amount of or how hard hit hospitals were and ERs were because of COVID, because of people coming to them, because people are, you know, not masking, things like that. There's a lot of rumors and I haven't, I don't know if there's any for sure evidence that states like New York, especially have exaggerated numbers to make it seem like, you know, the hospitals are just completely overran. There's a lot of people say that the incentive to exaggerate numbers like that would be so that you know, people are more cautious and don't overrun hospitals quite as much. Do you think in your, literally you were in the mix in all this, was there any reason for you to believe or for anyone to believe that we, that the medical industry for some reason exaggerated numbers of how many people were coming in with COVID or exaggerating how bad COVID was in some way, shape or form? You know, it's hard to say. Yeah. Cause I don't know physically where they were at prior. I mean, it's in a sense that I feel it's a lot like us. We, we didn't have a lot of wiggle room to work with. So we're already trying to take care of all these people. And I mean, you go up to Chicago, you got two, three hour waits anyways. So I think a lot of it was just, it used up the last little bit they had. I mean, 
maybe the percentage wasn't huge, but there are those that come in drastically sick and you're throwing a ton of resources at them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch of those that really aren't that sick, but they're still a patient of yours. They're still coming in. You're still got to check them out. So it's a hard thing to follow kind of where they're at. And I don't know how badly they were overrun anyways, but mm-hmm. I got to imagine in those New York states, if it's anything like I've seen in Chicago working in hospitals up there, they're already so backed up that yeah, there's just nowhere to go with people. And now you add this additional group on. Mm-hmm. So I don't really, I can't say they would, I would hope they wouldn't exaggerate things right. like that. You don't suspect that anyway? I wouldn't suspect it. I mean, in reality, I think, I mean, shoot, like I said, the last two, three months, we've been seeing it here in our smaller scale. We're a much smaller ER. We've got two of them here in town. And both of us, I know a lot of people at the other hospital that we're both in the same shape. You know, it's just, we have people boarding down the ER that are supposed to get an admission up into a hospital room. There's nothing up there right now. Mm-hmm. And so they're just hanging out down in the ER, which isn't where you, you know, where you really need them to be. Mm-hmm. And there's just nowhere to go with people. And it's, we would get that state anyways. And now it's just that much worse that you, we just have really no wiggle room at all. There's nowhere to go with anybody. So what happens when the ER is completely full and there are still people trying to come to you who have COVID who are, you know, knocking on death's door perhaps, or just doing really bad, you know? So that's my role. So I'm a charge nurse in the ER. Um, in addition, my primary job is to one, watch out for my staff. So I, you know, the day to day and make sure they're safe, they're taken care of and that if they're panicking or if they're not panicking, but if they're having a hard time with a patient, I'm going to be right there alongside them. I'm going to jump in, I'm going to help out, I'm going to task with them, whatever I need to do. Uh, Just with my experience, I can hop in and just kind of help them out. That's my primary goal. And then I also am really focused on flow. So I'm the one trying to maintain flow, get patients where they need to go that I know, hey, this this nurse has a little bit of extra they have a room ready. They can jump in that room. That nurse can take care of them. Um, and then just maintaining flow. I'm communicating with the other floors in the hospital, ICU, you know, med surge, whatever, just to make sure these people keep keep getting where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And You prevent any backups or anything like that? I try. Mm-hmm. Lately, I, lately, it's been a lot of rearranging, I would say would be a good word. Mm-hmm. I mean... You got a patient up here that, okay, they're going to medical, but they don't need a heart monitor. So I'm pulling that patient out of that room, opening it up, because I know I got an ambulance coming in for somebody that's drastically sick. And again, it may or may not be COVID. It's just one of those things that we're so backed up that, you know, I'm pulling people out of rooms. We got hallway beds. You know, we're opening up to other departments mm, to try to hallway help Hallway beds, huh? Oh, yeah. So you can walk down the hallway, see people laying there? Oh, Absolutely. my gosh. Yep. What a sight that would be to see. And it's just the state of affairs, unfortunately, that we kind of see our ch- ourselves in and you know, we're not alone. It's everybody across. You read nursing posts and blogs, you know, if you ever go on certain social media posts and sites and every nurse across the country that's in the ERs, we're in the same boat. You know, mm-hmm. we're just a small scale of it because we're a lot smaller hospital. But you start talking, you seeing these nurses posting on the bigger hospitals and it's exactly the same. It's just they're a lot bigger. There's a lot more nurses, but the ratio is still there. There's still too many patients for rooms. Mm-hmm. And that was the entire goal of limiting and social distancing and all that, but it's gotten lost kind of in the mix there where now it's just so polarized that everybody's just like, Oh, everybody wants to blame COVID. It's like, no, we were already busy. Yeah. We just really tried to take this all, you know, handle that load. And if everybody would chip in, we'd slow it down enough that we could keep up. And we are brought to you by Tri-County Carpet and Flooring in Fairbury, Illinois. 
Tri-County Carpet and Flooring in Fairbury is the premier flooring store throughout Livingston, McLean, and Ford counties. From choosing the perfect flooring to measuring an installation, Tri-County ensures top quality products and services. Their trained professionals boast precise measurements, straight cuts, and perfect fits, while their showroom houses a multitude of gorgeous, top-quality, name-brand carpet and flooring options in the latest styles and colors that are durable and long-lasting. With free estimates, design consultation, and contractor and multi-room discounts, Tri-County in Fairbury is your one-stop shop for all of your home and business flooring needs. Pay them a visit at 19 Jan Lane in Fairbury, Illinois, right off of Route 24, and give them a call at 815-692-3666. Tri-County Carpet, your flooring paradise. Okay, chip in. What do you mean by chip in? Social distancing, masking, you know, getting the vaccine, you know, and most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, I'm of the opinion that I'm not a big fan of the mandate. I don't think anybody should be forced well, to take anything. Well, that's rather profound of you to say, being in the medical field, being right. directly hit by this and affected by this and overworked because of it, right. you still don't think that there should be a mandate. It's... It's one of those that I don't like forcing things upon myself. It's not what I, I always, I tell a lot of patients, I'm not a prison guard. If you want to leave, that, you're an adult. You know, I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to tackle you. You know, but I would hope that you make the right decision with the science and what I'm telling you as a healthcare professional to make the right call in order to make the decision for yourself. You know, you're an adult, you're over 18, you do what you want to do, but it's amazing to me that there needs to be a mandate. I don't feel that there should be, but even that there was, even that that, that was put in place. Mm-hmm. If, if you follow me, like I'm surprised and we're all kind of astonished that with the science backing and what's going on and the studies that are showing how effective it is, it baffles me that we would have to put something like that in place. I would hope that everybody sure. would kind of come to the realization that, man, this is really beneficial. You know, why would I take that, you know, shot on the roulette, you know, to say, man, maybe I don't get sick. Mm -hmm. Maybe I die. Well, the the reason that people are so skeptical to get this uh, vaccine in the first place, one, I mean, psychology 101, when someone is yelling at you to get stuck in the arm with a vaccine, you know, you're not going to want to do it if they're yelling at you. I mean, parents know this law with their kids. But more than that, it's distrust in industries and Corp, not well, yeah, corporate elites, I guess, yeah. medical corporate elites, um, distrust in the government who is telling you to get this thing. It just seems sketchy to a lot of people. Oh, and while, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, I get their side of things. I get why. And I, we were actually joking about it in the air the other day. I'm like, we should have gone reverse psychology and said, we have the vaccine, but I don't want to give no, it to that you. And they would have been like, would oh, have my goodness. probably I, worked, in my very humble opinion. I really think, given how the American person, on average, their psychology, I think that would have worked much better. It's like, it's here, you know, only if you think you need it can you get it. We don't want to give it it to everybody, you know. Exactly. So being in the shape that I was in, working in ER, and being in the military, I knew Mm -hmm. there was no question I was getting it. I took the mindset right from the get-go, like, one of these days, military is going to come down and say, like, you have to get it. Same with all our other inoculations you have no say, you know, that's one of those things that sure. I am owned by them. Even though I'm only there part time, I am still one of their members. So you signed contracts that made exactly. it so you would have to do this. So yeah. it was easy for me. So I knew right from the get go, as soon as this thing's offered, um, you know, I'm elbows deep in COVID all the time. 
I'm just going to go ahead and get it. I'm not going to fight it. And let me just say, I have been in some situations where I have definitely tested out my vaccination status and it so far so good. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no way I shouldn't have caught it in certain things. And you try to prepare for it. You try to wear the right stuff. But when an emergency Mm -hmm. happens, you just might not even think that through. You're just trying to jump on the emergency. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, like I don't have all the stuff I need. So, so far, so good for me. And same with a lot of the nurses, you know, there's sometimes you just get caught with your pants down where you're just like, oh no, I didn't have the right things on. I guess we're going to test this out. And so far it's really past the eye tests. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've admitted maybe a a couple here and there that have been vaccinated, but the ones, every single one that comes in, that's drastically sick is just unvaccinated. And you're like, is there anything about the actual structure of this vaccine that makes it alarming or at the very least interesting i've heard people i'm not a scientist i'm not an expert on this at all but some people say that this vaccine looks different than other vaccines like it does something perhaps on the genetic or cellular level i'm not exactly sure but is this a unique kind of vaccine as far as vaccines go or is it just along the same lines of you know the polio i don't know if polio vaccines you know the standard vaccines that we get before we go into school right is it along the same lines as those no i mean again i'm not an expert on this by any means but having learned going through genetics for school and then researching a lot of it basically any viral load comes on rna which is a very it's a very simplistic version so the virus is hanging out on rna on it's, an rna that's how strand they, or something right so that's how, how that's kind of where they come from they don't okay. have dna they're just rna so they're very simple oh, okay they have one job they are coded to just attack and replicate that's the only thing that they do where dna is a lot more intricate there's a lot more pieces that makes us us right so mm-hmm. in right. most vaccines prior essentially they were taking the chunks of it that they knew would do, you know, would protect us and it would alert our body to say, hey, flu virus is back, make sure to take it out. But it's all a big guess. You know, they're looking at migration patterns. They're looking at South America and the Southern Hemisphere to say, hey, these have been the most deadly flu strains. We need to protect and essentially guess that these are still going to be the most deadly when they hit the United States. That's why a lot of times when people are so up in arms that the flu vaccine didn't work, it's like, well, it's it's kind of a guess on which one's going to be the most deadly. And sometimes they, they work perfectly and sometimes they don't. So they give you like a little bit of a mixture of the different flus that are going right. around just enough to train your body to exactly. fight it off. And then boom, you are vaccinated against that. Correct. So it's, okay. it's just to give, you know, they give you just enough that the body's like, oh, I don't like that thing. And they go attack it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, if I ever see that guy back here around <laughs> again, I'm going to take him out. So as soon I as love it gets painting in, it like this, by the so way. So as soon as you get it in your system, your immune system's like, oh, you're done for. Yeah. And they just go after it. Well, this is similar, but this, they're a lot more dedicated to what it is. And they're using a very specific chunk of that COVID virus to, again, alert the body that, you know, this is happening, but not give you, you know, you don't want to get a shot and then get COVID. That's not Mm -hmm. really what's going on. But they just, it's essentially, if I remember right, it's one spike of a protein chain of the virus that is just enough that when the virus gets in you, the body sees that spike they may not know what the virus is or the Mm. rna in there but they go hey i've seen this guy before and they just they go take care of it where if it's never been seen before that's where they call it a novel virus the body has had no no plan whatsoever against this thing so Mm. and they still don't know why some people just handle it fine they're totally good even those and a lot of people with a lot of pre-existing health conditions they're they're just fine 
and other people, their body just goes nuts and it just mm-hmm. takes over. So Very that's where it's a, it's a role on the roulette table of like, I mean, this thing's out here to protect you. The vaccine's there. Do you really want to spin that and throw all your money down to say, eh, I think I'll be all right. When in reality, it's like, man, you had this mm-hmm. thing all along. Cause I've had plenty of people that unfortunately that are in my ER that, oh, I wish I'd have got the vaccine. It's like, well, too late now. I'm like, mm-hmm. we'll see how you do. Joey. <laughs> you were kind of telling me about this the other day. We got Joey Reese behind the camera, by the way. But you tell me about it and pretty much matches up exactly to what he was saying about, you know, the spike. But were you saying that the spike actually is some about like a protein spike or something goes on a cell or something? and kind of acts like it takes up a parking. Sp- I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I mean. But was that concerning to you like that? I don't know. Maybe, why was that concerning to you, if you care to say? <laughs> yeah, so like Kyle was saying, it's like, most vaccines are like, your body identifies it, it's like in a weakened state, and then it like produces antibodies that can destroy it easier. It's like, it knows what it is, it can identify it fast. Uh, but yeah, I heard the vaccine creates a like spike protein, like Kyle was saying, and it attaches to your cell. To the cell, okay. The actual cell, and the... Uh, like what I understand a cell is, is kind of like uh, that children's toy where it's like a circle fits in the circle. Mm-hmm. So if like the cell has a, a circle opening, a triangle is not going to fit in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the spike protein attaches to the cell, and then when the uh, virus tries to attack it, it already has that spike protein. Mm-hmm. So it's like the 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 virus can't fit in. Mm-hmm. So it just takes its spike. spot. So it hits the spike and then it bounces off essentially. Huh. Is that, does that sound right at all? Or? I mean, yeah, in a sense, yeah. It's basically, it's giving the cell and the body protection against whatever this is. Because like I said, the, mm-hmm. the virus itself, its only goal is to spread. And a lot of times that's just replication. So it gets in there, it just starts wreaking havoc, it does its thing, and the body just goes nuts. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, it gives the body this little this little chunk just to say, hey, I don't like that little chunk anymore. And it just helps kind of guide it so that it, it's aware of what's happening uh-huh. and just can react to it a little bit better. So... You know, it's one of those things everybody always wants to say, well, people can still get COVID with the vaccine. Like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Uh-huh. People can still get the virus, but the drastic effects are much reduced. You know, there's a lot of people that have come into the ER that they've had the vaccine. Sure, they still get COVID, but I'm like, but you are doing pretty well. And I'm like, I'm looking at your health history. I don't think you would have fared very well. I mean, it's just a guess because, again, it's hit or miss, but... Mm-hmm. My gut tells me that this person that I'm talking to that had the vaccine and still got the virus probably wouldn't have done well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get people's reservations. I get why they wouldn't want to do it. It's very new. And, but I took the option, I, you know, I took the mindset that I had no choice or mm-hmm. one way or the other. I was, I was so deep in COVID working in it. Plus, you know, I knew along the lines at some point I'm going to be getting it. So I just, I guess I didn't really think about it that hard. Plus, I just knew like if we can get everybody or a majority vaccinated, it's going to slow this thing down. So, We are brought to you by Fairberry Furniture. Fairberry Furniture is the area's premier, favorite, most beloved furniture store. Their selection is gargantuan. Their staff is helpful and friendly, and they have all of your favorite brands of mattresses, tables, chairs, recliners, couches, and basically all furniture items. So make your home comfy, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairberry's own beloved Fairberry Furniture. It's fair to say, right, that the majority of people that find themselves in critical condition because of COVID, they typically had comorbidities or very poor health in the first place. I've, I read something like 
the vast majority, I want to say 90%, but I don't think it's quite that much, something like 80% of people that went to the ER or died from COVID that were under the age of like 75, over the age of, well, just under the age of 75, like the vast majority were really overweight. Is now that, that, that have you noticed that? That is a theme? huge piece, absolutely. Okay. And well, Interesting. I'm not sure why. I don't know why that would, whether it's just their body's inability to, you know, attack this virus when it gets in there or if it's you know if it attacks you know big respiratory is the big thing it goes after there's a million different side you know symptoms that you can see with covid but you know respiratory is the biggest thing so if they're a larger weight they're moving a lot more mass every time they breathe maybe Mm -hmm. they just wear out faster it's able to get in there you know if if they're not really using their full lung capacity it gives a lot more opportunity for it to settle in down deep but in reality i I don't really, you know, I have seen a huge connection with that, but I don't have a good answer as to why necessarily. Um, but then there are those outliers that, of people that are claimed to be totally healthy and they look healthy from the eyesight test, but mm-hmm. they are still just, just knocked down yeah. by this thing. So it's yeah. kind of hard to say, you know, and that's why it's, that's why no matter what I would always always encourage somebody to still look into the vaccine, make it an educated choice on it because I can't give you a good reason as to why some people get horrible symptoms and get intubated and maybe may, they may not make it out of the ER or, or the ICU and others do just fine. It's one of those, it's totally random guess. Yes, there are connections with a lot of healthcare issues mm-hmm. that make it way worse, but there are those outliers that, nope, they were totally fine up until this point and mm-hmm. now they've got a tube breathing for them. And right. So, you know, I don't want anybody to be mandated. I don't like that thought that I'm going to forcefully give you something that you don't want. But I really encourage people to cut out a lot of that outside noise of these people that are just making up nonsensical things and Mm -hmm. really look at true medical education coming from true journals, real studies, real data to say, this is effective. I promise you the risks are really low for it. And then just make an educated you know, decision on their own. It's so interesting. Real quick, Joey, were you going to say something? I saw you pull that mic down. Yeah. Uh, I just had one question. Uh, so it, this, this virus, like it attacks the lungs essentially. And, uh, I, uh, I heard that, you know, like the common cold doesn't really have a vaccine because it can like change so much. So you'd also have, you'd have to get multiple vaccines to fight it. Is this kind of the same thing? Would you have to get like a booster and then like or just multiple vaccines. It's not like a one-time thing, right? I'm under the impression that the way this thing is mutating, so you now you have the Delta variant, and uh, I think they have the Mu variant or something like that out now. I, any virus is going to change as it's as it's defended, and we start blocking it. It's going to try to morph itself into something else. So mm-hmm. I do feel down the road, this is very well is going to be something that we may just need little boosters. But it's same with a lot of things that we may not get it gone all the way, but if we can control it enough to where it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind, we get our vaccine, we keep going on with life, you know, good to go. It was just this first initial rush was it was such a novel virus that people's bodies had no idea what was happening mm-hmm. that it just kind of exploded. And it's so transmissible that anybody that comes even close to anybody, it's just spreading like wildfire. So yeah. once we get a handle on this thing and we, you know, there's going to be those people like myself that, Hey, we came out with a new variation. Perfect. Throw it on in there. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've got enough vaccines in me that I can fight off anything. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be those that don't want it. I get both sides of things, but you know, over time, I think my hope, and 
I can't think any other way because if it doesn't happen, it's going to be a pretty depressing way in healthcare for the next few years. But my hope is that it does start settling down. People get their vaccines and it really starts calming down. It's not yeah. such a huge peaks. So your big ask of everyone is to get the vaccine. I mean, in reality, yeah. I mean, I, you know, looking even at the data, young healthy people. Sorry to cut you off there. Even young healthy people, though. Yeah, strictly on the basis that they may maybe may not be the one that's getting sick, but they are going to be a person that can transmit it. You know, they might yeah. be at night. They're not going to be the ones that show up in the ER most often, but you go visit grandma, you visit your parents, yeah. you go this and that. You're going to just spread it if you don't know it. Cause a lot of people don't even show symptoms. They have no idea. They're just spreading it everywhere. So it's, it's gotta be kind of an all or nothing thing with this vaccine. And the more people we get vaccinated, the less transmission it gets. And that's where you see that slow burn where, yeah, it's still around, but it's controlled. Where mm-hmm. right now we're just having these humongous peaks and all of a sudden it just bum rushes locations. You get overwhelmed. You're, I mean, we're taking calls even here from Texas, Arkansas, Indiana, Holy trying cow. to transfer people in for an ICU bed because there's nothing around. It's so, an interesting thing to watch. Okay, so first of all, the reason that people are not getting vaccinated is largely is definitely because of skepticism oh yeah. and, and distrust and everything like that. But it's it's almost funny to watch once the numbers start to go down and people relax and go out and gather and do whatever they want. It's like the unvaccinated will show themselves oh, yeah. in the ER, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's 100%. like as soon as everyone gets comfortable, okay, we're going to go out. Okay, well, you unvaccinated folks are going to make these numbers go up. And I don't even want to make it seem like I'm against those unvaccinated people or anything or anything's wrong with them. It's just how it seems to go. Right. And yeah, I don't want to ever, never want to ever make out anybody to be the bad guy you know it's one or the right. other and we have little, enough of that oh my goodness right and for a little bit and that's why you know i've i've really started trying to cut down on social media because it was getting so polarized i was getting mad and i'm like i'm not going to change anybody's mind really it's mm-hmm. i don't know why i'm getting so mad i'm you know i'm getting in arguments with family and other people i'm watching news posts and posting on that and i'm like why am i doing this to myself like i know what i need to do in my world of taking care of people I'm not going to probably change their opinions. So why would I get super worked up? And so I don't want to make anybody out to be the bad guy. That's Mm -hmm. not by any means. Everybody's got their opinion. Everybody has the right to do what they want to do with their body. It's just all I can do is keep encouraging people to try to get this thing just so we can at least maintain some sanity and some, you know, at least some flow through the department. You know, I, I want to have people come back as soon as I get to the ER. I want to get them a room as soon as they go. Like, I got into this game or this field to take care of people. And when we take it very personally, when we are to the point where I cannot physically get a patient back that checks in because I have nowhere to go, we take that to heart. And it's, I think that's why you see such a huge trend of nurses leaving the field. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of paramedics leaving the field. It's just, it's, it's soul crushing to sign up to take care of people and you just can't. And now we've flipped into the almost being the enemy where before it was, I remember all right. those posts and I remember Larry Fitzgerald on the NFL stuff and like, Oh, thank a healthcare worker. And we were getting all these letters while everybody was scared of it. ER numbers plummeted patient wise. It just went straight down. I missed the whole thing because I was up swabbing people, but I knew mm-hmm. a ton of people that were working a year and they're like, Oh man, we went from a hundred and something patients a day to 34. You know, people were terrified of this thing. They wouldn't come out. And then as soon as people started forgetting about it, it starts coming back. And now you have all the stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be in an ER, but we can't turn them away. So they're piling in. 
now you're getting your other people piling in. And then all those people that probably should have followed up the doctor for their diabetes or for their heart issues or their chest pains. Now it's not so much a little problem that, hey, I could adjust your blood pressure medication. Now it's you have a full-blown heart attack or you had a stroke because your blood pressure was so high. But they just they were so scared to go follow up with their doctor during that Mm. time that now these little things are just a massive problem. So it's just kind of hitting it's hitting us all at the same time. The you know, the you know, the boomer population's all of a sudden starting to fall apart, which we knew that the boomer population. (laughs) It's such a huge and I don't mean I don't want to use a director, it's just it's one of those it's that population that is getting up there in age. We Uh know that there's gonna be healthcare issues and they are their numbers far exceed the people that are now taking over in healthcare. So they're all retiring. There's now becoming the patients and there's not really, I mean, we're, we got a ton of nursing schools here getting a lot of nurses, but that population is just so big Hmm. that our growth in the hospitals, we're very concerned that we won't be able to keep up. No, this is an incredibly interesting thing that you're talking about. I know Elon Musk is big on this and I've read a few articles on it and it's the massive looming soon to come problem of depopulation in the United States. Mm -hmm. The number of 65 year old people that are going to be retiring is going like this and the amount of young people being born that will enter the workforce is going like this. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you talk about restaurants, you talk about the medical industry, jobs everywhere where they're going to have less flow of new workers coming in and more people to serve especially in the medical industry oh yeah so for that's sure. that's the downside of this whole revolution of we don't need kids marriage sucks all this sort of right. stuff it's nuts man i have no idea what the future is going to look oh, like. oh it's it's yeah there's so many questions and it wouldn't be so bad if it was a gradual decline but that mm-hmm. they call them the boomer generation for a reason oh, it is boom. a yep. massive yeah. good point group of people that are oh, all going to reach right. those healthcare issues. I mean, no matter what, no matter how healthy you are in life, eventually as you age, you're going to have issues. Mm-hmm. They're all reaching that time frame all at the same time. So those of us that are younger that are trying to take the mantle and take that torch to carry on whatever we they had built now has a lot less to do it with, but now we've got to take care of them. And they are just, this last year, it's just... They're just kind of all falling apart. I mean, all at one time. And we knew this was going to be coming for a long time. And I don't know if it is because of a whole year where they couldn't follow up with their primary doctors or if COVID finally pushed them out of the workforce and they just said, you know, if they were hanging on for a little while, like, I'm going to work a few more years. And then this hit, like, if I was 65, why would I stick around? Yeah, COVID has exhausted a lot of people that were getting towards the end of their careers. I know numerous people that are that retired early because Absolutely. of this. I mean, there are severance packages and a lot of big companies that I've heard. And if I think of myself mentally, if I was close to that age, heck yeah, get me out of here. Like, yeah, I've done this long enough. If you're going to pay to get me out. Sure. So I think it was just that last little push that they were like, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to work from home. Like, get mm-hmm. me out of here. So now they're just kind of all hanging out. Plus they weren't able to see their doctors forever. And it's just, everything's just coming into a culmination all at one time and it's just pressing uh-huh. down on us so and i think some of the stack on top of the stress that america is feeling literally the majority of individuals in america are feeling comes also from the limited hands in the workforce people were able to stay home and so people that were working in the medical field people that were working in stores retail everything like that restaurants big time 
a lot of them were able to go home and receive benefits and get money monthly from the government, state and federal, mm -hmm. just to stay home. And so they had no incentive. They were right. incentivized. They could almost make more money staying home rather than going to work. And that has lasted. I think the federal, um, the federal unemployment money that people were getting just ran out at the beginning of September mm -hmm. of this month. But still, people were able to save a lot of money, and they can right. probably use that as a cushion for a little while longer. So until that runs out, until people are incentivized to go back to work and go find a job, we're going to, and until COVID can flatten, things are going to be stressful, I, yeah. I presume, for quite a while longer. I mean, it's... Maybe not too much longer, but at least a little longer. And one of the, the biggest, I would say it's not so much the stress of patient care, it's not the burden of how many we're dealing with mm -hmm. in all honesty the thing that's pushing people out the most is just this huge change in patients personalities oh really with the with the shutdown and the stress that everybody's feeling everything being so polarized everybody's so angry about everything so when they check in it's no longer like oh healthcare worker you're great it's why am i not back i want immediate care this and that i mean wow I am, we're the mental health in this country has taken a huge turn. Oh, that's for sure. And suicide rates continue to climb it is, among young people it is too. Unbelievable Holy how many cow. we check in for mental health and issues and it's real real stress they're feeling. I mean, and it's it's almost like it's this fabricated stress, but it's real to to them. I mean, they we are all living this life where there's shutdowns, there's this and that going that you know, the workforce is up in turmoil, they can't, you know, everything's going wrong. And then you watch any kind of media and everything's just so polarized and everybody's just at each other's throats. Yeah, man. It's all a political thing. And then these people are just taking it in and it's just, you're right. It's just frying them. So you have to almost take like a news binge or not a binge, a news break for a long time. Oh. You you even said that you, uh, dis, um, you, you got off Facebook for a while. Yeah. You only got back on to share this episode. Right, so. Exactly. And you know, it's, I try not to go on there cause yeah, like, I had to take a good look at my own mental health of, mm -hmm. I am so stressed with work and things like that. Like I don't need that additional stress and somebody else telling me why I should be stressed. I already have my own, but I can manage it. If somebody else is trying to contribute to that stress though, like eh, I'd rather get it out. But Absolutely. People, people are just so caught up in everything. They just have a hard time disconnecting and everybody that comes in is just, you can see such a massive change. And from when I first started this job of, People were appreciative of you know their care. They know we're working hard to do our best. Even if we got real busy and they didn't have a place to pull them back, they were understanding. Yeah, I hear all the code calls and this and that. Like, I get it. You guys are busy. Now it's, I can't believe you don't have me back. And they're physically, you know, they're verbally screaming at us as to I why bet. am I not doing this? And that's the staff that I'm trying to protect and take care of. So then I throw myself in on that situation because I'm not going to let them just take a verbal beating from somebody. And it's just, it went from, it used to happen every once in a while, maybe once or once or twice a month-ish when I first started to, I don't remember the last time I've gone a day without somebody getting up in arms and just directly angry at the nursing staff. And it's like, we are working our tails off in all realms. The floors are killing it. The ICU is just swamped. We're just drowning in the ER pre-hospitals drown and they're trying to keep up but everybody you know they can't find people to help because let's be honest i don't know why you would necessarily jump into the healthcare field right now unless you're a real heroic type i mean it's if you were trying to ask somebody new to come in and god bless the 
the students that just passed a lot of these courses that are coming in that willingly are throwing themselves on this fire because almost everybody you talk to now is just so mad about nothing and they're just directing it since we're the person in their way it's kind of coming at us and i would say in talking with other nurses that are either leaving or switching sides going to travel changing careers entirely retiring that was the last thing i mean the stress of the job was a lot but the mental health of patients and physically and ment- you know verbally just coming at us all the time now mm-hmm. has finally tipped us and we weren't that was the one thing i don't think we were ready for right we were ready for patients we were ready for a big surge of things man you'd think it would be everyone would be thanking you but you'd not think, the case at but, all and it was at one point at one time and we didn't even want it honestly it made us feel awkward i don't like being a hero i'm just here to do my job yeah. i like doing what i do there was, was a period of time when the media was pushing that narrative, like, oh, thank hugely. a doctor, everyone, Yeah, you know? oh, huge. Thank your and medical then, workers. I mean, in an instant, it just, all of a sudden, all these things we kept warning about, like, hey, there's going to be huge wait times if you don't if you don't help us out. We're going to, if we don't flatten this curve, we're going to have wait times. We're not going to have beds. We're not going to have equipment. Sure enough, we get rocked. They come in, they start flooding us, and there's, that's all been forgotten. Interesting. People are just completely over the fact that we are getting crushed and we are doing our They're best. They're over it. But the they news want, cycle has moved on. <laughs> they want direct care right then and there, and they cannot Sheesh. believe we wouldn't have a room for them. And, you know, even if we're putting them in a hallway bed, I still am trying to take care of you. I don't have anywhere to put you. There's 16, 17 people out in the waiting room on our 20-bed ER, 22-bed. We're trying our best. But as soon as we get them back in the room, it's just hellfire. I mean, they are just coming at you, and you're like, why, why do I still do this? But right. My at goodness. that time, though, you know, you still have those patients that are really exciting. There's really cool stuff. You get a nursing student in there and you get to start really getting to the nitty gritty of going back to those basics to say, this is why I do the things. And, you know, I try to focus on that now. I was getting caught up in that minutia of like, why is everybody so mad at us? And I would get frustrated. And it takes those nursing students and those new faces coming in, those EMTs and the paramedics to kind of reset your brain to go like, oh, yeah, this is cool stuff. You know, this mm-hmm. is, I mean, let's, let's do some needlework and let's get some meds going, you know, things like that to really, yeah. the ones that are truly sick, you know, they do still think it, you still will get that every once in a while. Mm. And you've just got to get that mindset of just cutting out all that side talk and just focus on what you can do. And there's only so much you can do. And when it comes to what you guys do, I, I could say so many things right now, but it it's really comes down to the ratio of pleasant interactions to negative interactions. Um, I've listened to psychologists talk about relationships, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. You typically want something like one for every negative interaction that you have, every fight, you want at least like six or seven good um, interactions as well. And you don't want any more than that because then you have someone that never challenges you, right. never sharpens you. Any less than that, it's too punishing. Talk about like, you know, the situations you find yourself in in the medical field, usually you would hope for something like a one to 10 ratio, mm-hmm. you know, one negative interaction, 10 people saying thank you. Now it's probably like one to two or one to one. Uh, and you can't take that. You're going to, you got right. either going to leave or your mental health is going to wane. It's right. going to go away. And that's the biggest thing I can tell, you know, to nurses that are listening in or paramedics, anybody in the medical field really is you got to find that, that ability to try to focus on your mental health and I'm trying to learn that. I can't say I'm perfect by any means. I definitely slip. Um, but I'm really trying to make that focus more on what I know I need to do and cut out all that other stuff. Cause when you get to work, there is only so much you can do. You mm-hmm. only have so many beds, you only have so much equipment. 
you just try your best and do what you can. But in reality, there's a good chance you're going to get overrun and there's not enough to go around. And right. to we as nurses, we got into this field because we're empathetic. We like taking care of people. And when you can't, it mm-hmm. really hurts. And then to get yelled at on top of it because you can't, it's a double whammy. So a lot of nurses just take it to heart. And it's like, you know, yeah. learn from it. If you If you make a mistake, learn from that. You know, keep learning, keep growing, find those opportunities to keep growing, but don't take it so personally that you couldn't physically, if you do not have the space and there's just nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do. We're going to try our best and you can't do it. So learn from your direct mistakes or issues that you had, and maybe you could phrase things differently, but don't take it so to heart that it's going to push you out of the field because that's not, that's not, you're not learning anything at that point. You're just essentially giving up and I don't fault anybody for it. It's a tremendous stress load that they're under, but don't get so caught up in it that it pushes you out. Cause you got mm-hmm. into it. Try to remember that reasoning to why you did this and why you like it. And right yeah. now it's just a rough point. There's ups and downs in any career, you know, right yeah. now it's just a real rough point and just find that focus again. When you want to quit, remind yourself why you started. And to people that are seeking medical attention, Listen to me and just don't, and listen to him. Don't be a jerk to your medical personnel that are trying to help you. Holy cow. Don't be a jerk. That simple. Everybody needs, everybody lately needs a big hug. I don't know what it is, but everybody (laughs) just needs to go out, find somebody, give them a hug. Cause man, if they, if we could just get that turned around and just the aggression and the anger and the depolarizing essentially of this entire country over this little issue we find ourselves in. If we could just get that turned around a little bit, we could all survive oh. nurse. Like we wouldn't be leaving in droves. It's not because it's not a patient care issue. Yeah. It wears us down, but we're going to keep fighting it because that's what we do. Yeah. It's the mentality of it that, man, I just, I don't deserve this mental abuse anymore. So, uh-huh. you know, it's just one of those. Yeah. Just, just be, you don't even have to say, it's one of the, go back to the old school route of what moms used to say. You know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like, we don't even have to talk. If you're angry, that's fine. But let me, let me just do my job. I'm going to do whatever I can to make you feel better. If you're just angry, there's a platform for that. There's patient advocates. There's, you know, there's surveys they'll send you by all means, take care of that. But we are so stressed. Like that's not the time. I know that's when they're mad, but that's not the time to take it out on somebody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And Kyle, we are getting towards the end of this conversation. I have one more question for you. And talk about loaded questions. This is ridiculously loaded, but I thought it'd be fun to ask you. Okay, if President Joe Biden called you up after he watches this on Sunday. Absolutely. Yeah, he says, hey, you're involved in the medical industry. You have a lot of good things to say. I watched your podcast with Paul Garcia. It was fantastic. I'm going to be addressing the American people tonight. And before I do that, I want you to hop on for about two minutes and say a little something to the people. Tell them to do something because something about covid what are you going to say when he definitely calls you up and asks you to do this? I mean, start with the basics. COVID is an actual thing. It is a real virus because there still are a lot of people that feel that it's fake. And I I get that they could feel that, oh, they're making this too big of a deal. But to deny an entire virus is a bit much. I don't know how you can deny the entire thing exists. Yeah. But do what you can. Keep yourself safe. Keep your family safe. Look at the data. Make sure you're making the right call for what you believe in. But at the end of the day, I by all means stress how well this thing does work. The data is showing that it's very effective. Even if you feel that you're one of the healthy ones that's not going to catch it, protect somebody else. 
we got to start thinking bigger than ourselves. It's way more than just, I'm not sick, I'm fine. It's, okay, you're not sick, but you're going to get a lot of other people sick, and how many are they going to get sick, and so forth. I mean, it's just a steamroller effect. So please make an educated decision. Try to protect other people, and look out for your fellow human. And we're all in this together, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing I can say. We're all essentially a big team. This is no longer a state city county nation thing this is a world issue look out for your fellow humans we're all in this together right on incredible conversation thank you for the incredibly valuable insight people have been dying to hear from someone like you on this show for a long time that couldn't have gone any better thank you so much kyle steidinger for your time today yeah thanks for having me on i hope i gave some good advice and at least my perspective on things from the front lines so Do what you will. You know, people are going to make up their own choices, but I can only stress to do what you can. Right on. Kyle Steidinger, thanks. Thank you very much. All right, dude. That's a wrap, man. That was great. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Paul Garcia Show. If you enjoyed this show and you want to show your support for it, please consider donating a couple of bucks on Venmo to The Paul Garcia Show or supporting the show's production and improvement on patreon.com forward slash Paul Garcia, where for as little as $1 a month, you will gain early access to each and every episode, and I will also read your name at the beginning of each episode so everyone will know that you're incredible. Don't forget also to subscribe to The Paul Garcia Show on YouTube, follow it on Instagram, and like it on Facebook, and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, thank you for tuning in to The Paul Garcia Show. God bless, have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday.